American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Michaela Slinger over Zoom video. Michaela talked about being born and raised in Vancouver and how she got into music. She tells us about getting signed to 604 Records and her debut album, Panorama. You can watch our interview with Michaela and myself on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Michaela Slinger. So this podcast is about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. Sweet. Love chatting about that. Could chat about it forever. So watch out. <laughs> well, yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear all about it. Um, so tell me first, you're from Vancouver originally or is that's where you're currently in? Yeah, born and raised. I mean, I was just, I was uh, I grew up outside of Vancouver, like a suburb, but now I'm based here and I've been here for the past couple of years since since graduating from university. Very but very cool. much uh, like born and raised BC gal. Very cool. What was that like? Um, I mean, it was amazing. It's a it's a really incredible place to grow up. I don't know, just but similar to I think a lot of other kids like did a lot of extracurriculars, played a lot of sports. I think people associate BC obviously with like rugged outdoor camping and things like that, um, mm-hmm. which I do some of now, but growing up, I mostly just like played sports and did musical theater. Um, so it was later in life that I started living the, the quintessential British Columbia stereotype. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> only a matter of time. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you did musical theater. How did you get to music originally? Um, I was a really musical kid, like from the time I was kind of making sounds and uh, my my mom was she always tells me like I was trying to sing along to Celine Dion in the back of the car when I was less than a year old. So I've always been very musical and I had a kind of a a wild experience when I was three where I got to sing the anthem at an NBA game here. Wow. Um, Back when Vancouver had an NBA team. And I feel like I always bring this up, but I just think it's funny because I guess my parents sort of saw it as the test. They were sure. like, she sings all the time. She seems like a performer. Should we actually put her in stuff? And um, I didn't hate it and run away. So they were like, okay, let's ask around. And they got a recommendation for a local musical theater group and put me in singing lessons and piano. Wow. Well, how did you score yeah. the NBA thing at three? That's blows my mind. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a little mind blowing. Just like now that I, I know three-year-olds in my own life, I'm like, wow, that's pretty young to, <laughs> sure. to do that stuff. We had a family friend who worked, I think for the NBA franchise or maybe at the stadium. And he was on the phone with my mom. They were friends chatting. And, uh, and then he heard me singing and he was like, what's that to my mom? And she was like, oh, it's Michaela. She always is singing. So he was like, well, we should have her sing the anthem. Why not? Like, let's see how it goes. Wow. Do you remember that at all? Or is it just you're too young? I mean, I, you know how, like you've seen videos or photos of something that happened when you were a kid and you don't know if it's actually your memory or if it's the photos that have, like, I think I have memory of it, but the funniest part now, I was talking to my grandma about this the other week and she was like, oh my God, I remember that day so vividly. It was horrible. And I was like, I thought it was this thing that my, I know, I know because so my whole family went, but apparently they were all like so stressed because they were like, it's this little three-year-old. I was the first born. Everyone was just so nervous. And so my grandma was like, I could barely stand up. She was like, my legs were shaking. I felt nauseous. Your dad was like pacing. He was 
almost in tears. I think my mom kept it together for everybody, but maybe, you know, five minutes before I walked out onto the floor, they all thought they'd made a huge mistake, but oh it, ended up, uh, it ended up being fine. Not a traumatic sure. experience for me, apparently for everybody else. <laughs> sure. Sure. Is, so is there video of it or just pictures? There's video of it on my YouTube channel. It's uh. I got to say, it's pretty cute. It's pretty funny. That's awesome. That's really cool. I'll have to watch it after. That's that's really fascinating. I want to see a three-year-old singing. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you knew all the words, I mean, well, at least Canada has the best um, national anthem. I'll give you guys that. <laughs> it's, I, it's not like the U.S. anthem, which I've also had to sing from time to time growing up. That's a bit more grandiose. Canadian sure. anthem is pretty pretty straightforward. But oh, Canada's great. That's I always when I talk to people from Canada, I always tell them you guys have the best, the best national anthem I've ever heard. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. Had nothing to do with it, but thank you. <laughs> right on. Okay, so you you sang that at three. You got into musical theater um, and voice lessons as well. When did you start uh, writing music, or did you pick up an instrument pretty soon after that, or what was the next yeah. step for you? Uh, well, I did. I did piano sort of begrudgingly, I would say my lessons, I think it, that's how it goes for a lot of kids. They're like, I don't want to do theory. I don't want to learn classic. You know, I was like, I want to be Taylor Swift or whoever. Sure. Um, my piano teacher was like, okay, but you need to practice your scales. Uh, so I, I kind of like, I say I dabbled with piano enough that now I've got basic theory and I understand chords and keys, which is super helpful. But um, mm -hmm. I started writing my own stuff probably around age 10, just in my journal. Um, but I, like, I always loved writing stories and, and really liked like English and language arts in elementary school. So I would kind of just write, um, by just singing and writing pen to paper. Mm -hmm. And then we got an old piano from some church or something gifted to my family. So we put it in the very cold basement that was actually our garage with just a wall up. So it was like freezing late at night, but then I would sit down there and just be writing songs on the piano. And then I, I was fortunate enough that my high school had um, like a music composition class as well as guitar. So oh, I learned wow. guitar in grade 10. Yeah. Which was just so awesome that that was a class. And then mm -hmm. music comp the following year was my first time ever investigating like garage band or recording my own ideas. Mm -hmm. But what I remember most about that class is it was just like a dedicated hour every morning where I would <laughs> find like the quietest corner. Of, I honestly remember sitting in like the supply closet in this music room, just <laughs> writing the, oh, like wow. just having the privacy and the space to write. Um, yeah. was, was really quite formative for me, I think at that time. Wow. And then when did you start uh, writing songs and showing them to people? Was it around the same time or did you kind of keep it kind under wraps it, for a while? Yeah, it was kind of low key. I mean, I showed them to like my close girlfriends when, when they'd sleep over. And I think I'm sure a lot of artists sort of have those like initial core people who really support them. Mm -hmm. So I've, I found in my I have these like memory boxes that I keep and I, I pulled it out and I saw one of my first songs I'd written with the chords and part of it's in my handwriting and part of it is in like one of my oldest friends handwriting. Cause I just remember, you know, I'd be at the piano and I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. And they'd be like, play it. Oh my God. We got to write down these lyrics. So, you know, they were my cheerleaders from day one, which was really sweet, but I didn't really start publicly performing any of my own material until I went uh, to university. Okay. I think high school, I was just like, uh, can't you be sure, so, sure. Sure. What a so wild time. <laughs> with university, did you go for music or did you pursue something else? 
No, I, I actually, well, I went to a small liberal arts school just outside of Vancouver. And like those kind of colleges are much more common in the States actually, but in terms of like Canada, it's quite rare. So I didn't go for music by any means. I mm-hmm. didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but honestly, I've always loved school. And this was the most innovative kind of educational model I, I saw. So I went and I was actually on a, a partial athletic scholarship. So I was on the wow. varsity soccer team. Um, yeah, but like definitely not a starter, definitely a red shirt. And pretty early on was like, I mean, I'm, I'm fine at soccer, but I'm, I'm going to have to put in a lot of time if I want to even play. Sure. Um, and pretty early on, I, I was like, I also love music. So maybe now is a chance for me to sort of like leave behind sports, mm-hmm. um, which I've done also my whole life and, and focus more on music and writing. So I literally like flipped a coin with my roommate. Should I go the sports route and stick with oh, it? Wow. Or should I create this new artistic identity for myself? And the whole point of doing stuff, I think with the coin toss is as the coin is flipped, you're like, oh, I know what I want the answer to be. Sure, and that happened sure. for me. It was in midair. And I was like, I hope it doesn't land on soccer. I think I kind of <laughs> want to be an artist. <laughs> um, so I don't know what it landed on. It was fine. I'd already made up my mind. So then I left soccer started performing at open mics, had a, a cover band with my roommates. And I also started writing for the school newspaper. So oh, like wow. doing journalism um, was also a great way for me to hone my writing skills, not necessarily in a musical sense, but I think just writing and thinking and putting words to paper, you know, it all mm-hmm. mutually informs each other. So that was, yeah, that was a big time for me in terms of growth and performing my own stuff. Sure. What about that? Uh, the first couple open mic nights was that terrifying or were you excited like tell me about that yeah performing is always you know terrifying and exhilarating at the same time honestly I was so much more brave when I was growing up like musical theater until I hit puberty I think I had like zero fear like me being (laughs) off stage and on stage there was no separation at all but then as you get older you start to be aware of the fact that other people like have opinions about you sure, and not all of them might be nice. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it was a little bit paralyzing when I was in my adolescence and starting to write, but my school was really small, liberal arts, sort of hippy dippy, very supportive. Um, so those first open mics were, you know, awesome. And mm-hmm. it was nice that, that people, it was cool that people sort of started like recognizing me on campus or associating me as like a, a singer or a musician or a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, cause people had known me as a performer growing up, but being known as a, a songwriter and more of an artist was an identity that I think it's been a lot harder for me to own. So that was really cool at school and people would be like, Oh, I loved your song. And then like, we'd have the school album and people would know all the words to my songs by the end of the year. And I was like, Whoa, this is Whoa, cool. What's the school album. They'd put out a record with a bunch of different students music. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the school when I went was like six years old. So it was very, it was kind of like a DIY spirit. So there are a couple of really awesome people who were like, we want to build a recording studio. And the school was like, okay. So then they (laughs) built a recording studio and then there started to be some more music classes, but then it was just the initiative of some students who wanted to make an album with student music projects at the end of every year. So that was also like my first time being in a studio of any sort, recording my own music, Mm -hmm. um, which like, it's just, it's such an amazing feeling for, for people that have never done it before. I really can't describe it, but I was like, you're telling me this thing in my head, I'm going to put it in the mic and I can like tell people what I hear. And then Mm -hmm. it's going to go on a thing and people are going to listen to it. Like the whole process was amazing. That's so cool. What was the songs that you submitted for the, that, that record? Oh, they were, uh, they were some, I mean, I love, I love them still. They're a little bit, a little bit cheesier, like a little bit more acoustic sort of 
love songs because I was in my first relationship at school. So it was also like everyone knew at the campus was small. So everyone knew us as a couple. And then I would write these love songs and it was all very sweet. But one's called Fossilized, which was a song I wrote for my my partner, who's still my partner now. Um, And then another one was called Sweeter Than It Was, which I wrote about us going to Spain for a language class. Which can I speak Spanish? No, but we had (laughs) a great time. (laughs) No, my Spanish is way better than my French. I've loved Spanish since I was five. Like my parents got me Spanish lessons with a family friend when I was five and I took it all in high school, but I've just never been able to stick it out. One day I'm going to live in a Spanish speaking country and I'll, I'll do it. But until there you go, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, tell me about flux. So that looks like the first song that I see on your, on your Spotify. Was that the first song that you like did a proper release for? Like, tell me about uh, going from, you know, this school record to putting out music as, as an artist. Yeah, it was a big jump. Um, when I graduated school, even though I'd had awesome experiences in music and sharing my own writing, I didn't plan to go into music. I was like, oh, I'll just keep it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I jumped full time into uh, work at a nonprofit, which is kind of where I thought I saw my life going. And within a few months, I was like, oh, oh, no. You know, the little voice inside <laughs> sure. was like, you're not really happy and you really want to <laughs> be doing music. But I was like, no, I, I kind of want this like corporate stable life. And it is very much still a part of myself. Um, but I was writing a lot and I was working from home one day and yeah, I just like wrote flux in 20 minutes and it, it wow. so perfectly encapsulated what I was feeling at that moment. My early twenties, total uncertainty, feeling like very emotionally volatile. One second, it was like, life's awesome. The next second I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Do I want to live here? Do I want to be this person? Like, Mm-hmm. So many, you know, big identity questions at that time in life. And the song just felt a little bit different to me. Like, I think it was the first time where I was like, this could be more of a commercial sounding song. It sounds like something I might be able to like hear out and about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I reached out to a friend who had done some recording and she connected me to this producer, Nigel. And so I like took a day off work and booked a session, which felt a little cheeky, Yeah, <laughs> but I had vacation <laughs> days, so it was fine. And yeah, that day is is like burned into my memory because when I biked home with the demo that night at like two in the morning after a really long session, I was like, oh, you know, the experience I'd had at school, it was that times 8000 with like a professional really? producer. Oh, yeah. He built up the drums and like the drop and the synth and like the everything. And I was like, OK. I guess I'm doing this now with my life. So, yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> was more complicated you, than yeah, that. You knew it was, that was, the it moment. was over. OK. Yes. Yeah. Very Game cool. over. Yes. Okay. Well, so it looks like I'm just, again, I'm just going off your Spotify here. Uh, it looks like a lot of your songs were released either in this year or t- 2020. Where were you when, when COVID hit and how, like, <laughs> like how did that affect you, your music career and, and these releases? Yeah. I mean, it's affected everyone in so many ways. And I think like part of it, the timing was okay on my artist journey. And in other ways I feel really bummed. Um, I'd actually signed with the record label I'm with now, 604 Records. Mm -hmm. I started working with them at the end of 2019, officially signed in February, 2020. And I'd already been working on my album with them. So I kind of did a demo deal. It went well. We'd been in the studio from like January-ish to 
literally the beginning of March, the week before COVID. So we had just finished everything in the live room for my album. So excited. And then COVID hit. So I had this full body of work. I had all these singles, but obviously um, a lot of the the strategy was also sort of based on touring and and getting people to know me and, and trying to get like different showcase spots. So things were kind of on hold and it was hard because I had all this music, but was like, I want the release to be right, but I also don't want to wait forever because some of these songs, I already feel like I've been waiting forever to share. Um, So yeah, it's been a big pivot to a totally digital strategy, which if Mm. I'm honest, I'm I'm better in person, but they're (laughs) great tools to like access audience. It's just hard because that's the only way that anyone's really getting to know a new artist right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we slow, we put out my first thing last summer and yeah, it's, it's just been hard. You know, it's, it, it feels um, like you put something out and even if you get feedback, it feels a little removed because it's all on a screen. Sure. Sure. Well, how did you uh, get the attention of 604 records? Like how did that relationship start? Yeah. I mean, when I first decided to leave my full-time job, find some work contracts and pursue music. I was going to a couple industry showcases here in BC. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, so nervous, such imposter syndrome. I remember sitting at this one in Victoria, it was kind of backed onto a festival called Rifflandia, but they decided to like host a panel for artists and like talk about, you know, a range of topics. And I met this producer named Louise Burns. First of all, I was like, Oh, women produce music. Cool. Like, had not had that experience and didn't really know that many women anywhere in the world that were producing music at a high level. Um, So listening to her talk, I just was like, whoa, she's so cool. So grounded. Um, I kind of heard her name from other friends. So we connected and she's signed with uh, 604 and she's also like a regular producer and collaborator with a lot of newer artists. Mm -hmm. So her and I started working together, just the two of us, not affiliated with the label, just out of her house, Mm -hmm. pulled together an EP Um, that I was going to release on my own as an independent artist. And then she sort of introduced me to some other people at the label and sent through some of my stuff uh, to the head of the label, Jonathan. And then things just kind of happened from there. And then I was in Toronto and I got to meet a couple other people at their Toronto location. And one thing kind of led to another, but I really feel like that initial relationship with Louise and putting myself out there, even though I felt so out of my element about it, you know, it, it really worked out for the best and she's been incredibly supportive. That's awesome. That's really cool. And with those songs, yeah. uh, for that EP, did you just hold on to them and are they going to be a part of the record or? Yeah. Still holding on to them. Two of them are on this record. They're kind of like a little bit reimagined from the time that we did them. We went back and tracked some new stuff with my mm-hmm. other co-producer, uh, Kevy on the record. Um, but then there's a couple other songs we're still sitting on. I think they deserve to see the light of day at some point, but we'll see. It's funny. I sent her one the other week. I was like, this is still such a bop. She's like, I know. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, so the record's done. How, how was the, how was it finishing it? Like, was that something you had to tackle during COVID? Um, so we'd finished doing everything, you know, like tracking everything before COVID. Thank goodness. So I was able to have friends and and family come into the live room to record backing vocals. And there were like lots of people in the studio. So, so the energy of that was amazing. Um, and then we kind of sat on the, the finished takes, but all the mixing happened virtually, which it was just a new experience for me. And it, it kind of makes it a little bit harder. And then there were still with some songs in particular songs that I think 
still actually needed some production work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made it really hard because we like send it to mixing, but then I didn't understand how the process worked. I was like, wait, I want to add this like keys part and take out this. And I might want to add a new vocal thing. And they were like, Michaela, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, very supportive. So we, we ended up putting some new twists on songs that really should have been finished, but yeah, being virtual just meant like lots of voice notes and FaceTimes with, uh, my other producer, Kevy looping in the poor mixer. Who's amazing. Who was like, sure. I'll add in this, these five new tracks today. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was good. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I must've been different working over, over zoom, especially for like some, with something like mixing. I mean, was it hard to kind of hear everything as far as like little, I mean, I, I don't know how, how great the sound would be coming through a computer. Yeah, I honestly would just like, yeah, listen in my headphones and try to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be running around like at one point I was house sitting for a friend. So I'd be like outside and then I'd get a notification. I'd run inside, get my AirPods and then I would (laughs) run over to their piano and like record a thing. So I just kind of was like, I don't know, like a little hamster running around (laughs) for a week just like obsessively listening to things and trying to listen, you know, in the car, on these headphones, on different headphones out of the computer to see if what I was hearing was what I wanted to hear. Sure. Yeah. It was an interesting exercise. That's amazing. <laughs> and the most recent song that you you've put out from in, from the record is too good to be great. Is that, that's going to be on the album. Yeah. That's on the album. That's all the songs we've released so far. We've released four. Um, and they're, they're all on the, the record panorama, which is out next month, mm-hmm. but too good to be great. Yeah, I was really excited about that one. It was a, a song that caused us a lot of, a lot of stress, but then when it, the final mix came through, I was like, Oh, cool. This is a single. But until then it had been, it'd been a little finicky. Why is that? (laughs) It was just, it was like a song that I knew it had a lot of potential and, and so did my two producers, but then like, I just didn't know the identity of it. So it was coming back and I was like, ah, this doesn't sound right. I don't know. So that was literally the song I was just referencing where up until the final mix, I was like, could we add this part? Could we, try this. Could we take this out? Could we change the percussion? And I would like literally send voice notes to Kevy being like, let's try this. (laughs) Okay. And send through a couple ideas. Yeah. So it was, it was a long process back and forth. There are a lot of mixes of that song. Okay. Okay. And the video (laughs) is up as well. Um, Tell me about the video. Was that a difficult process to do with the restrictions on everything? Yeah. You know, kind of, but we've made it work. I'm so lucky. Like for all of my videos, I've gotten to work with uh, a team of very talented people who also happen to be my close friends. So we've been talking about some of these concepts for a while and they've been hearing the songs in different iterations for years. Mm -hmm. Um, and my, my director and really close friend, Miranda and I, you know, we just like, we go for walks and bike rides all the time. We're always bouncing ideas off of each other. So I think when it became clear that restrictions here were still where they were at, it was like, okay, we just got to do a video where it's just you uh, we booked the space at 604. So it was a, a max crew of six with okay. COVID restrictions. So we were like, you know, how can we, within these somewhat challenging confines, create something that feels really fun and special? And I do think sometimes you can create awesome work when you have limitations and, and boundaries in place, forces you to get creative. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. And with this, with the, with the record, I mean, obviously next month it's coming out and COVID will still be a thing and touring probably won't happen quite yet. Uh, how do you feel about putting it out? And, and how are, aside from interviews and stuff, how are you going to, 
you know, properly release it? Like, are you going to do like a live stream concert or anything like that? Or do you have anything planned? You sound like the voice inside my head that's on a loop every, every day. <laughs> Michaela, what are you, what are you going to do? How is this going to work? Um, no, they're great <laughs> questions to ask. I mean, last summer I was fortunate enough here and I, I anticipate this summer being the same here where like outdoor things are okay. So last summer I planned a little like acoustic show, some different like outdoor venues, breweries, like oh, open cool. winery fields in BC. Sure. And that was a really great way. I mean, ideally I'd be playing with a whole band and we'd be in a like actual space, but mm-hmm. I'm sort of thinking that that might be the play again this summer, just to try and get performing in and perform in places that are safe and outdoors. Um, and as vaccinations uh, start to increase here too, you know, by the end of the summer, who knows, mm-hmm. maybe that capacity could increase. Um, but I'm like so keen to perform this live. I don't just want to do virtual stuff. So a blend sure. of like Zoom interviews like this. Um, and then, yeah, being able to perform in person safely is sort of my goal. And even for an album release party right now, chatting, trying to figure out like, could I do right now? It's you can gather with 10 people outside. So I'm like, oh. okay, could I, could I do a rotation of 10 people in hour long chunks and rotate through, you know, they, they sit through the album listening party, 50 minutes, 10 minutes to sanitize next 10 come in. So I'm like, Oh, that's a, a cool little, idea. Who knows? I'm, I'm maybe biting off a bit more than I can chew with that. <laughs> but, uh, We'll see as many people as possible that I can connect with in person, even with like a mask on is great. Sure. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I can't wait yeah. to hear the record. Um, and thank you so much for, for doing this today and being flexible thank with you. the time and everything. Oh my God. Of course. I have one more question for you, Michaela. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh my gosh. Well, this is sort of like advice to myself. Cause I, I think <laughs> I, I still feel very emerging and, and aspiring in many ways, but I think, um, something I've been reflecting on, especially the past few weeks is like, no one is, no one's going to care as much about your art and your vision as you do. And that sounds kind of like defeatist, but I don't, I don't think it actually is. It's like, you are the person that's going to be the ultimate champion and advocate. You're the only person who sees your vision a thousand percent clearly. So you really have to like trust in it, believe in it, chip away at it. Um, and obviously like, like work with a team, I could not be here if I was not working with so many incredible people, but I think just remembering that the ultimate like fuel in your tank is you and your own vision and you got to be your own self-advocate, but it's a good, it's a good exercise. Yeah. And self-belief and like, you know, asking for what you want and just like doing what you want and what you see 